numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Amen. If you've been a part of Coleman First Baptist for the last several weeks, you know we're in the midst of this evangelistic campaign called Who's Your One? And the idea couldn't be simpler. The idea is that each of us, the Lord has laid on our heart one person, of course some of us have multiple, but one person that we are targeting, we are praying for like never before that they be saved. And I do not think it is a coincidence. Do you? It cannot be a coincidence that as Southern Baptists, as our largest Protestant denomination in this country, rises up with this new campaign to reach people, to rescue them with the love of God, to introduce other people to the love of Jesus Christ, to the gospel, to see people rescued from darkness to light. I don't think it's a coincidence we get on the enemy's radar. And I don't understand all this. I don't understand the theology of how it all works. But just from a simple perspective, I look at it like any pandemic or sickness. This is, this is something from the enemy. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph is talking to his brothers. And he said, what you intended for harm, God has intended for good for the salvation of many people. How can you not think? And I know, I know there's a lot of mystery here, but how can you not think that what Satan intended for evil, what the enemy has intended for evil, God is already using for good, for the salvation of many. You know, when I think about a pandemic, you think about an emergency situation and everybody says, oh, this is, this is desperate. It's an emergency situation. Listen carefully. To someone right now without Jesus Christ, their whole life is an emergency situation. They're one heartbeat away from an eternity separated from God. They're one breath away from an eternity separated from God. It, it, if anything, a pandemic physically shows us the pandemic spiritually that's already been a reality for many people. And so uh, we're not backing off this Who's Your One campaign. We're doubling down now more than ever before. People, of course, we need physical help. Of course, we need to care for people because God loves people. But even more important than ever before is showing people the love of Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel. And it could be that you're watching this video right now and you don't know if you're saved. You don't know this message is gonna be for you too. Christian, who's your one? I wanted to talk uh, from Luke chapter 12. Will you turn there? Will you turn in your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Luke? We're gonna start in verse four, but I always like to give the context. Today, in Luke chapter 12, 
Jesus has, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> since I'm in your living room and I'm not like preaching to this packed room, I thought I'd try bringing out a stool and sitting down on the stool. We'll see how long I'm able to sit down on this stool. Uh, I don't think it's going to be long. But anyway, we'll try it. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has already debriefed. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out uh, the disciples. And when he sent out the 72, he, he sent out all these followers and then they reported back. And so he kind of debriefed from his first mission trip. And what he's doing is he's getting his disciples ready for the great mission trip, the great commission to go out into all the world and to make disciples. So he's preparing them. And so he gives this message. And in this message, as he's sending his, he knows he's about to go to the cross and he'll be resurrected and ascended and so he knows he's got to send the message out of the good news through these disciples he tells them they're gonna they're gonna face some fears and what Jesus does in this passage in Luke 12 he really preaches a four-point sermon and each point is a fear not he's talking to his his disciples about how they can fear not. I'm, I guess I'm calling this message, fear not, but why not? <laughs> fear not, but why not? We've heard Jesus say, fear not, but why not? Here he talks about why you don't have to fear. He's addressing ahead of time the fears and anxieties he knows they're going to face. What could be more appropriate for us today? I, I'm actually going to do this as a two-part message. I felt like there was more, I'm, I'm biting off more than I can chew. So what I'm going to try to do is look at the first three fear nots today and next Sunday God willing we'll look at the fourth fear not because the fourth one is is is, is larger and, and more complex now some, one of the great things about preaching on worry or anxiety is that uh, I, I told you I wouldn't last long on the stool one of the great things about preaching on worry or anxiety is that you really don't need much of an introduction See, let me show you a little bit behind the scenes of how you, you, you build a sermon. You got to kind of get people's attention. Well, when you preach on anxiety and fear and worry, you've already got people's attention, right? I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic. So you just have to say, hey, is anybody struggling with some fear? Or do you know somebody who's struggling with fear or anxiety or worry? Yeah. Do you have a pulse right now? Yeah. Okay. Then you're probably at times... Uh, in this category. As a preacher, though, you're responsible for, for preaching the whole counsel of God. In other words, you got to preach the whole book from Genesis to maps. You can't... See, we need a laugh track, right? That would have helped me right then. I would have known that you... Okay. So you got to preach the whole thing. You can't leave anything out. But let's be honest. Some parts are easier to immediately see the application. I believe the whole Bible is applicable. The whole Bible is relevant. Some, though, you see immediately. Others, you have to do a little work. So when you preach on Luke 12, you say, hey, we're going to talk about Jesus preached a sermon all about anxiety, boom, you're good to go. When you preach on Leviticus, it's a little tougher, right? Uh, say you're the high priest and you know, I mean, you know how it is, right? You've been there, huh? And you, you're sacrificing. You've just, you know, you've just cut open a ram, right? This guy gets me. How many of you been there? You can't remember how many times to sprinkle the altar with the blood. Am I right? right? So it's a little uh, more difficult, okay? But with anxiety, here we go. You don't need to get everybody on board. You're on board, so let's do it. Four fear nots. His points are fear nots. Four, uh, four do not be afraid. Four be ye not anxious. Four times. Four do not be anxious. Four be not afraid. If you have a California translation of the Bible, four chill outs, okay? Four little cuckoo-cachoo, bro. Four times, fear not. We're going to look at three today. We'll save the last one. Here's how I want to do it. I want to look at... <clears throat> Don't fear this first thing, don't fear this second thing, 
don't fear this third thing. And then I want to go back and I want to show you in Scripture why you don't fear the first thing, why you don't fear the second thing, and why you don't have to fear the third thing. Does that make sense? So I'm going to cover them and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to show you the supporting Scriptures under each one. So first, let's go through them and just show you what the fears are. Starting in chapter 12, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear. And the first thing, and before I show you the first thing, I just want you to agree with me that this should be encouraging. Jesus is talking to his disciples. These people got to walk and talk with Jesus himself, and he knew they would face fears. And he calls them my friends. Let me tell you something. It is easy to beat yourself up. If you're going through worry right now or you're going through anxiety and you're a Christian, one of the terrible ironies of fear and anxiety is that you know in your head, but you can't seem to tell your emotions. You know in your head, I shouldn't even be afraid. I shouldn't have these anxieties. And now, ironically, you end up feeling more anxious because of the fact that as a Christian, you know you're not supposed to feel anxious. And so your anxiety doesn't get less, it gets more. It's like once when I, when I was in a, a church and the preacher, and I'm sitting there and I'm struggling with all this worry, and the preacher said, if you struggle with worry, yeah, you know that's a sin, right? I was like, ah, now I'm worried about that too, right? It's one of the things about anxiety. Let this verse encourage your heart. If you, feel, if you feel fear or anxiety, you're not a weirdo. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not, you're not, you're not a, 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 somehow a, a failure and Jesus doesn't want you on his team. No, he's addressing his disciples and he's telling them, here are the things you're going to fear. Now, here's why you don't have to fear them. But the feeling of fear, it doesn't disqualify you from being a Jesus follower. I tell you, my friends... He loves you, and he loved his friends, and he, and he knows that even these beloved friends would still struggle. So if you're struggling with anxiety this morning and you're a Christian, hey, don't beat, let's not beat each other up. Let's build each other up and say, hey, there's a way forward here. What are the things you don't have to fear? I tell you, let's see the first one. I tell you, my friends, first, do not fear those who kill the body. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Don't waste any time, you know, get right to it. Usually in a sermon, uh, you, you try to build up, you know, to the, to the heavy punch at the end. Here, Jesus just starts right out. Let's get this out of the way. The first thing I know my disciples, Jesus is saying, the first thing I know you guys are going to fear, you're going to fear death, and particularly in their case, death by persecution. You're going out, you're preaching the gospel. He knows what Rome is eventually going to turn against him. He gets it. So don't fear death, particularly death by persecution. Goes right after it, gets, gets, throws it right out at the start. You do not have to fear death. In fact, you're commanded, do not fear death. We'll come back to that. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Don't fear them. What's the second thing? You're going to have to skip to verse 11 to see the second thing. The first, don't fear those who can kill the body. Number two, go to verse 11. <clears throat> Here's the second thing you don't have to be anxious about or you don't have to fear. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious. Be ye not anxious. Do not fear about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Okay? So the number one fear is fear of death. I love this. And right underneath the number one fear, the number two fear is public speaking. <laughs> now I know there, there are probably many of you that are like, honestly, 
Public speaking is number one, okay? I'd rather face death than public speaking. But he knows. Now, here he's talking about the same thing. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be arrested. It is not likely, if you're watching this message in the United States in 2020, you know, we have laws about religious freedom and so forth. You're, you're most likely not going to face death for preaching the gospel. But let's be real. There are places, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are being brought before tribunals. They're being brought before the authorities and the, maybe not the synagogues and the rulers, but, but certainly the rulers of their place that's closed to the gospel. This is their reality. They could be bodily harmed or imprisoned and they could fear those who could kill the body or harm them. And they could fear those that they're going to have to stand and testify before. And he's saying, you don't have to fear public speaking. You don't have to fear being bold about the gospel. Let me just point out one more time this who's your one campaign. This is very real for some of you because you can pray for your one. You can love your one. You can show acts of kindness to your one. But at some point, you know, you, you got to pick up the phone. You got to talk about it. You got you to gotta share the good news. That's very scary. You know, a lot of people have turned a really good quote into a bad application of a really good quote. Can I say that again? They're using a really good quote, but I think they're applying it wrong. The really good quote is attributed, who knows if he said, but it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And the quote is, always preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. That's a really good quote because what he's saying is your whole life and your actions should proclaim the good news. That's a good quote. Oftentimes it gets misapplied as if to say, Always preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. As in, really, you're off the hook. You never have to actually use words and share the gospel. That's not what he meant. So I would say, if we're going to use that quote, let's use a new version of it. And this is what I would say. Always preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. And words are always necessary. (laughs) Okay? But you don't have to be afraid. You say, but that, that gives me anxiety thinking about that. No. You don't have to be anxious about those who can kill the body. You don't have to be anxious about what you're going to say, what you're going to speak. All right. What about the third thing? Death, public speaking. What about the third thing? The third thing is spread out over several verses. So let me just show you verse 22 and 29. Remember, we're going to go back through these. 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Go to verse 29. He reiterates the same point. Do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. Be ye not anxious. Do not be afraid. What? Death, public speaking. And this third fear is he knew his disciples would fear that we're not going to have the basic necessities of life. He knew we would fear not not having enough, not, not, not food or clothing or I, I, I put shelter in there. Shelter is just the, the way we clothe our whole family, if you will, keeping ourselves safe from the elements. So you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear public speaking and you don't have to fear lacking basic necessities. Now, the million dollar question, why? Why don't we have to fear death? Why don't we have to fear those who can kill the body or, 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 or what we're going to say when we're called to account or not having the basic necessities. Well, let's go back through each of those three fears and let's look in the Bible why Jesus says you don't have to be afraid. First, remember where we were? Verse four. Let's start with do not fear those who can kill the body. Okay, here's why. Verse four. I tell you, friends, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. 
Sorry, this is such a, a, a great moment. I, I would have loved to have been there. Say you're one of the disciples, and Jesus says, hey guys, good news. What's that? You don't have to fear. Oh, I'm sending you out there, and there's going to be problems. You're going to face persecution. Hey, the fact of the matter is, he tells them in, in another place, I'm sending you out as a sheep among wolves. Y'all are the sheep, and I'm sending you out to some big, scary wolves. I get it. And now they're getting nervous. He says, but it's okay. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? Right? And there's the disciples gathered. Give us some encouragement, Jesus. All right, here's your encouragement. Here's your encouragement. Guys, guys, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because, yo, the worst they can do is kill you. <laughs> Wouldn't you have loved to have been there in that moment, right? The disciples thinking, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus? <laughs> yes, Simon, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sounded like you said, the worst they can do is kill us. That's, uh, that's pretty bad, right? <laughs> but Jesus, with incredible logic, says the truth. After they've killed you, there's nothing more they can do. Verse 5, but I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What's he saying? He's saying something so important for God's people to hear. And this has put courage in Christians throughout generations. Christians that are facing pandemics, Christians that are facing far worse than what we've faced. Christians who have faced on other side of the globe and Christians who have faced here. This has put courage and it's simply this. Death for a believer is not the worst thing that can happen to you. It's a fact. Being separated from God is the worst thing that can happen to anybody. And the promise for a Christian is that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that means if we live, we live unto the Lord, Romans says. If we die, we die unto the Lord. If we live, therefore, or die, listen carefully, whose are we? We are the Lord's. It means the safest place in the universe for you to be is in God's hands. And he's got you. So you don't have to fear death. In fact, Paul gets at one point in Philippians, he's in jail, and he realizes he may be getting close to being martyred. And he says some incredible stuff. He talks about rejoicing. He talks about not being anxious. And he says an incredible thing. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what do you do with a Christian like that? Where do you get that kind of courage? He's got faith. He knows he belongs to God. And that's why they couldn't shut him up. They couldn't stop him. Safety was never his number one priority. The mission of God was his number one priority. The love of God was his number one priority. I can only imagine the frustration of a Roman soldier or, a, or an authority trying to persecute Paul. Imagine being one of the, the, the Pharisees trying to go out and persecute a man like Paul. They go out and they say, tell Paul he better quit preaching or we're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, throw him in jail. And so they go tell him, Paul, you better quit preaching or we're going to throw you in jail. Paul says, great, I'll just share Christ with the jailers. Great. They come back. Well, tell him we're going to beat him up. They go tell him, Paul, you better quit preaching. We're going to beat you up. Great. I can't believe I've been counted worthy to suffer like my Lord Jesus to suffer in communion with him. Ugh. Finally, they come back and they say, well, well, tell him if he doesn't quit preaching the gospel, we're going to kill him. So they go tell him, Paul, this is getting serious. If you don't quit preaching the gospel, we're going to kill you. And they come back. What did Paul say to that? He said, if you kill me, it's a promotion. Now, what do you do 
with a man or a woman like that? What can the enemy do to a man or a woman who knows I need not fear even the greatest weapon in Satan's arsenal is the fear of death. And Christian, you're saved even from that? That would put courage. And Jesus knew it. That's why he told his beloved disciples that. That's why he's telling us. What about this second? The reason you don't have to fear those who kill the body is God's got you. What about the second point? Well, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Why? Why? Why don't we have to fear public speaking? Because of something, verse 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Mm. There's not really a need to expound on this because many of you have experienced this. Does that make sense? I could preach on this and I could, I could go into the fact that if you'll take a step of faith and, and when you're reaching out to your one and you're preaching the gospel, you're nervous, you're not going to have all the answers, you're going to step out. Uh, I could tell you about all that or I could ask you to testify. Now, this would be great because you're separated. You're in your own homes watching this and so you won't feel bashful at all. Just give me a nod. Wherever you are, give me a nod. Have you ever, if you've ever experienced this, you've not known what you were going to say, you wanted to share Christ with somebody, you wanted to encourage them, you had no idea what you were going to say, they were in turmoil and you thought, God, give me the words to say and you opened your mouth and started speaking and you look back and you go, I have no idea how I knew to say those things. Well, that, that was just Luke chapter 12, verse 12. That was the Holy Spirit giving you the words. Now I tell you, the Holy Spirit, for some of you, he's got a big vocabulary he can use. Why? Because you've memorized scripture. And when you've got the word of God hidden in your heart, the Holy Spirit has all sorts of vocabulary he can draw for. And you'll be amazed. You've experienced this, haven't you? You'll need just the right verse at just the right time. And the Holy Spirit calls it to mind. Why? Because you hid his word in your heart. So you don't squander these days. If kids, if you're home from school, young people, and, and, and uh, uh, get God's word in your heart. And I might add that uh, if you're a, a, a young person, if you're in the first kids ministry, right after you watch this online service on our YouTube channel, you'll also, we've got a first kids experience. So kids Sunday school, it's already laid out. We'll talk more about what happens after the service. But what are you doing? We're trying to, in our young people, in our precious kids even, we're trying to get God's word hidden in their heart. So you don't have to fear those who kill the body because God's got you. And you don't have to fear what to say because in that moment, God's got you. And what about this third one? Oh, what about, what about I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough, uh, I'm not going to have enough uh, resources. I'm not going to have enough food. I'm not going to have enough clothing. What does Jesus say to that? You don't have to fear that either. Why? Consider the lilies. He says, <laughs> I know you're scared. I know you're worried. I know you're, you're not only worried about what you see, you're worried about what you don't see, but other people are seeing in other parts of the country. And because of social media, they're sending pictures of it. And the stuff that you were never going to be anxious about 10 years ago, because it was 3,000 miles away, you're now able to be anxious about because it's three feet away. It's right there in your room. I get it. So Jesus says, some of you need to take a walk. You need to go outside right now in the spring and you need to look at the lilies. You need an object lesson. And you need to consider. It means don't just look at the lilies. Yeah, whatever, those are nice lilies. Consider. That means think, ruminate, engage your brain for a minute. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They do not toil nor spin. What does that mean? That means you will never in all your life be driving to work and on your morning commute on the two, uh, four-lane highway of 
Now, Highway 31, you're going to pull up to the stoplight at 278, and it's early morning, and you look over, and the car next to you, you pull up, and it's a lily driving to work. And you roll down your window, and you say, hey, Lily, what are you doing? And Lily says, oh, it's just a grind, man. Got to put in work. Earn that chlorophyll. I got two little buds growing at home, and they think fertilizer grows on trees. You know, he's angry, smoking a cigarette. Yeah, it's a grind. Can't wait till I get. You will never see a lily working. Why? He says, because uh -uh, these lilies don't work. They don't toil. Nobody did anything to make these wildflowers grow. And if you took the 10 best-dressed celebrities from the Academy Award, and you put them in a field of wildflowers, the celebrities look shabby. Why? Because if God cares so much that he's going to care and protect a lily of the field, which, which verse 28 says, if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of little faith if he cares about you? I, don't, he, I know everybody's telling you what the Dow's doing. Jesus is saying, what are the lilies doing, huh? And if God cares so much about a flower, about grass, don't even get him started on sparrows. <laughs> if he cares so much about grass that's here today and gone tomorrow, do you know how much more he cares about you? You don't have to fear those who kill the body. Why? Because God's got you. And you don't have to fear public speaking. Why? Because God's got you. And you don't have to fear not having the basic necessities of life. Why? Because God's got you. He's got you. He's got you. I know it's easy to get discipled by the nations on this. Verse 29 says, don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink or be worried for the nations of the world seek after these things. That's what the pagans do. That's a pagan response. But your father knows you need him. Instead, seek his kingdom and these will be added unto you. Let's take our eyes off ourselves and let's see how we can help somebody this week. All these things will be added unto you. You seek first his kingdom. See, we've been discipled too much by the world, which says, get everything hoarded and safe. Get yourself, go after wealth, go after money, go after power, go after these things. And if you get all that, then check out religion as a hobby. <laughs> then maybe you'll have time to experiment with God. And, uh, a Christian says, no, God is everything. And I'm going to pursue him with everything I've got. And all this will be added unto me. In each case, the rationale is in God. Don't fear death, God's got you. Don't fear trials, God's got you. Don't fear starvation, why, God's got you. But that raises an even bigger question. How do I know? How do I know God's got me? Well, for that, come back next week. <laughs> oh, I won't leave you hanging. I'll give you a little teaser, but... Come back next week, and we're going to talk about the fourth and final question is, what kind of God? How do I know this God has got me? In all seriousness, that is going to be his fourth point. We'll talk about that next week. But I couldn't leave you hanging there. You know that we know how God has got us. He's got us because he himself has borne our sins and our sorrows. Now, follow me here. The three fears he addressed were death, public speaking, and the lack of necessities. We know, we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that amidst of whatever comes our way, we can trust him because of the cross. The old uh, preachers used to say, and I'll say it too, if you want to know what God thinks about you, don't judge God's love for you by your circumstances. Measure God's love for you by his cross. Think about it. 
you don't have to be afraid of death because he went to the cross, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and he was killed in our place so that he, he allowed himself to be destroyed. He allowed himself to be cut off from God so that you never would be. And when it comes to public speaking, he was silent before his accusers so that you would always have the words to say. And in terms of not having shelter or clothing, he was stripped and beaten so that you would be clothed in the righteousness of God. He has died as our substitute and now gives us full and free access to the king of the universe. Do not measure God's love toward you by your circumstances, but by the cross. If the cross, with all its horrors, did not make Jesus give up on you, nothing ever will. Chuck's going to come and lead us in a time of response. After this message, I, uh, I want to um, point out a couple things to you. It could be that this is touching your heart right now. If you're watching this Sunday, March 22nd, 2020, and it's, uh, you're watching it at the 9.30 service hour, uh, I want you to know we've got uh, some uh, 256-734-5632. If you want to respond to this message, you just want some prayer, you want some counseling, we've got some folks ready. 256-734-5632. You call the church office. It could be that, that you would say, um, uh, uh, these are great promises, but I'm not a Christian. Then let me say this as clearly and as bluntly as I can. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to offer you some hope. These are some of the most precious promises in all of Scripture. But if you are not yet a child of God, if you are not yet a blood-bought, born-again Christian, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've never come to a place in your life where you've transferred your trust, if you are not saved, these promises are great, but they're not for you. You have no promise. You have no comfort like this. You don't. But today can be the day where these promises become for you. You need to be saved. You need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to call this number, 256-734-5632, and let us know, hey, he's talking to me. I need to be saved today. And we've got some ministers here that are going to stand by the phone lines. If you need to receive him, if you need, you'd say, I, I don't know, if I, if I die, this pandemic's got me thinking, what would happen? And I'm asking some big questions, and I need to receive Christ, my Lord and Savior. These promises need to be for you. It's not God, God, God wills that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Won't you come? And today, if you are a believer, this is what I want you to do. I want you to remember these promises. You don't have to fear those who kill the body. He's got you. You don't have to fear public speaking. He's got you. You don't have to fear the lack of necessities because he's got you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to encourage one another. This church is a big family and as soon as we give the benediction, I believe some of the sweetest moments in our corporate worship is not what happens up here. It's those five minutes before, five or ten minutes afterward. You're hugging each other, slapping about, e even just preaching in here. I, I miss. Some of you have sort of assigned seats over time. I know right where you sit. I know if I look over there, I know exactly who I'll see. I can kind of picture your faces. And I miss just, just being with you and of being together, loving on each other. So here's what I want you to do. After this service, your Sunday school class may have already thought of some way of gathering. I don't know if it's a Zoom meeting or a phone call or whatever, but that's all right. You don't need to overthink it. Just pick up the phone. Get on the phone with somebody after this service. Get on the phone with somebody. Just like you'd, you'd slap backs and, and, and shake hands and love on each other and all that stuff. Do that. 
after this benediction, do that. Share it with somebody. Talk, talk about the If you got nothing else to talk about, talk about the message. Hey, which one of these fears are you going through? How can I? And then pray together on the phone. Would that be something? It could be that already we're seeing. It just could be that God's going to draw our church closer as a family, even though physically we're far apart. Wouldn't that be just like God to work good out of something Satan wants to do for evil? be just like our God to do that. Let me pray for us, and then I'll give, you know the benediction I'm going to give. I'm going to give number six. But let me lead us in a word of prayer. God, we thank you that we need not fear those who can only kill the body. We need to fear instead you and respect you and honor you and live our life for you. Come under your obedience. You've got us. And Lord, we thank you that we need not fear public speaking, what we're going to say in that moment. Instead, we're going to trust you, Holy Spirit. You've got us. And we're not going to fear the lack of basic necessities because you've got us. And even Solomon in all his splendor looked shabby next to little old wildflowers in the field. I pray that our church would encourage one another with these words. And right now, I pray specifically for anyone who's watching this that, that, that doesn't know you. I pray the phone lines would begin to ring. That folks would take seriously and, and call and reach out. And that, Lord, you'd save souls and work for good what the enemies worked for evil. And draw our faith family closer together than ever before. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, wherever you are, I want you to stand to your feet for the benediction. And after you uh, uh, receive this benediction, the, the, of course, the service will end and the, the, all the various live streamings and filmings will stop. But that's when I want you to hug and greet those that are sitting there in the room with you. And then I want you to, um, I want you to call somebody. And uh, uh, I guess uh, uh, Chuck, you and I will just air high five. How's that? All right. Okay. Good deal. <laughs> I love you. I'm uh, going to give our benediction. Are you standing to your feet? Okay. I'm going to give our benediction. It's from Numbers 6 chapter. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen and amen. I love you.